You guys, this podcast is sick. We start off talking about Lana Del Rey, Taylor Swift, Doja Cat, Ariana Grande. Then we move into Ashton Kutcher's secret occult life, Danny Masterson, the Mamas and the Papas. And there's something else that I'm forgetting in this. Anyway, you know the sizzle is real only on the intuitor. Oh, P.S. I'm going to be showing up at this podcast more consistently because I know you guys love it. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, you can catch me on TikTok Live, unless I'm banned from TikTok, and you can see me then on YouTube Live. Love you so much! You've reached The Intuitor, where we use celebrity scandal as a vehicle for deep inner work. Join me, Onami, for all the taboo teachings, spiritual secrets, and celebrity gossip you can't help but love. The sizzle is so real, only on The Intuitor. Oh my fucking God, you guys. So the first thing that I have to say is that I just found out right now, I was talking to somebody and I just found out like this second that Lana Del Rey doesn't drink or do drugs. She has just been like writing and singing about doing drugs and drinking this whole entire time. And so like when we did the Lana Del Rey podcast, which if you haven't done it, um, is, you know, Lana Del Rey on the path of the sacred whore, because she's a hundred percent on the path of the sacred whore. But I said like, look, I don't really know anything about Lana Del Rey. I'm just going to look into her lyrics and see what's going on. And her lyrics are all about like doing drugs and drinking. So I said, oh, well, when this bitch gets sober, we'll see a totally different like Lana Del Rey. But it turns out she's been sober this whole time. So like, why all the drama? So like, is all of the drama, if, if we're talking, if the drugs and the drinking are fake, you know, they're just like good things to write about, then is like the romantic drama also fake? Is it just something to write about? Because I will say this, I've kicked eating disorders, I've kicked alcoholism, I've kicked all matter of drug addictions, but the trickiest and the sneakiest and the most persistent of all of the addictions that I've ever had has for sure been codependency. And I didn't even know that codependent because I was just breaking down the word, right? I was like codependency. So they, you know, dependent, they're dependent on me. And I was like always the type of girlfriend that like repaired, you know, if there was like a fucking plumbing issue in my house, I would repair it. I always handled the bills. I was always like taking care of everything. So I was not dependent on anyone, or at least, you know, I just thought that the word codependent was completely irrelevant to me. But then I went to, I, after my fiance died, I got engaged two more times after he died. And I didn't like any of these guys, like within six months of after him dying. And at that point in my life, like getting engaged was like the, re- you know, it's like, it's not a relationship. Like I need engagement. So I got engaged to my first fiance, Jordan, who I broke up with and got together with Brian Then Brian and I got engaged and he died. Then I started going out with this guy just so that I could get around Southeast Asia because I don't drive and I need a scooter. And then he and I got engaged and I was like, he's disgusting. I broke up with him very rapidly. And then my like AA sponsor, who is also a friend of my dead fiance, he and and I got together and he and I got engaged and I was like I think I have a problem <laughs> like I think I have a problem because it's not just like that these guys are like proposing to me or I'm even kind of like pushing them to do it but the fact that I'm saying like yeah 
yes, like, yes, every single time, like there's something wrong with me. So I went to a slay meeting, which is like sex and love addicts anonymous. And there I learned about romance addiction and codependency. And I only went to one meeting. It was in Toronto. And I got these two words like codependency and romance addiction. And as I started to unpack it for myself, I was like, holy shit, like this is such a like, this is crazy. Like this is so insidious. It, it, it's the, the background of basically all of my relationships. It's the source of all of my problems. It's why things have got, went so bad with my fiance that died. Like shit is a mess. And you know, it's crazy. It was like when I met my, my forever husband, I like, didn't we, we we're not legally married. We didn't even talk about getting alchemically married until 2020. What year was it that we got married? 2022. Um, so it was like completely irrelevant to me by the time I met somebody that I knew didn't need to be on a leash to stay with me. And that's really that codependency vibe is like they have to be on a leash. If, if I don't leash them, they won't stay voluntarily. The money won't stay with me voluntarily. The love won't stay with me voluntarily. Nothing could possibly be with me simply because it wants to be with me. It has to need me or it has to be tied to me. And there's no, that's all control. Like control and love don't eat. It, it's like having a cactus and a pothos vine in the same pot like one doesn't take a lot of water the other one takes a certain amount of water you can't feed control and love in the same pot like they're they're not on the same diet and so geez it was it so it was really hard for me to learn to get over codependency and it's still something that I work with codependency is like a big lack of boundaries as well like you simply cannot stop overextending yourself because you're like I'm going to overextend myself for you and then you're going to owe me something and this is how the relationship will stay because like you owe me something so you can't leave until we're square but the person never actually asked you to overextend themselves they were trusting that you would not overextend yourself and so much of that overextension was unsolicited and is now like based in resentment and and then you're like you have to get me back right now and the whole thing just gets so sloppy so it is something that I have to work with a lot like all the time but now I don't really know what's true or not about Lana Del Rey because I was like damn I thought that the lyrics were such like an accurate representation of who you are and like what you're going through but if there's no drugs or alcohol and there hasn't been since she's like fucking 14 years old I wonder if you know when people say California sober they talk about like you know not smoking weed but not drinking but is there also a california sober like the laaa scene where people like don't drink but they take adderall <laughs> like all you know like all of that stuff so um so yeah but basically i've just had a 360 i don't know what to believe about lana del rey tell me in the comments and please send me an email mommy at mommyonami.com if you have more tea on lana del rey because does she actually have problems or is, is, or is she talking about them in her songs? Because if the drugs and the drinking aren't real, like is the relationship drama real? Like what's real, Lana Del Rey? Such a fucking cancer, right? Such a fucking cancer. Cancer, and she's on the cusp of Gemini and cancer. My sister's also born on June 21st. Um, but such a fucking cancer to be like, I will completely bear my soul to you and I'll let you like so into what I struggle with on like a day-to-day -day basis as long as it's something I'm cool talking about 
Because if it's something I'm not cool talking about, like I'll just fucking lie about it, like up and down and defend that lie to the death while being like, I'm so open, I'm so vulnerable. But I was just talking to a new friend about this where I was like, yo, uh, yeah, what's the fucking, her, what she has in human design is her incarnation crossed is the, is the vessel of love. And with the vessel of love, like so many people feel loved for the first time when they're in your presence. Like it's like this person introduces you to what it feels like to, to be in that safe container of being loved. And I feel like that's really something that Lana Del Rey has created for her audience that she really loves her fans and her fans really love her. Like there's none of this. I was just talking to my husband about this this morning. Doja Cat's total and complete Doja Cat. Masterful, amazing play. Um, but also like, what is it? We, we talked on TikTok recently about like the Airbnb where they have signs, you know, treating everybody like an idiot when actually only 5% of the guests have been idiots, but now everyone gets the idiot treatment. But I feel like this is, you, you know, even though I'm all of Doja Cat's new songs are bops. Like they're amazing. I love Doja Cat. I love her style. I love how, you know, I'm like, damn, she's a lesson for me that like, you can be whoever the fuck you, you want, but also like all of the, the her last three songs, Demons, Paint the Town Red, and whatever this, Balut, whatever this last one is called, um, they're all like very defensive, you know, like they're, they're songs that I feel like are written to the haters, you know, so it's more of that like addressing the 90, you know, the 5% that are not down for the Doja Cat, and instead of the 95% that are really fans, and it's like, Oh, I don't care what people say about me. People say I'm this, people say I'm that. I don't care. I'm just doing this. And I know that that's kind of the style with female rappers, but like Beyonce never, ever, ever sing. You wouldn't know that Beyonce had haters because she just never addresses them whatsoever. She doesn't address them in her music. She doesn't make, she makes music for the fans and not for the haters. And even though all of Doja Cat's songs are in total hits in my book, these last three ones have been super defensive. It's like, why are you making them for the haters? So like, I want to hear about, I, you know, of course she's like, I'm making this money. I'm doing this. All this stuff is so great. But all of you people like fucking shut up about it. Um, all bops for sure. But, and Doja Cat, you know, she's whatever she's doing. She's rad. She knows how to like manipulate the media. And I think that that's such a big rite of passage, but Lana Del Rey doesn't have this resentment towards her fans. Like, I feel like Lana Del Rey is always super solid about like absolutely loving her fans. And that's her whole human design incarnation, even having like her private Instagram. It's like this vessel, this container that people feel like really genuinely loved in. And it's different from like, you know, people talk about parasocial relationships. It really is parasocial when like the fan loves the person so much, but like the person doesn't really love the fans. And when the star really, really loves their fans and love like, and they, they genuinely give a shit about them. Like Ariana Grande for better or worse really loves her fans. Like in the article with Vogue that they did about that was so long ago, that was probably like 2018. Um, but she talks about like how she like straight up DMs with her fans and will send them voice notes of like little runs and stuff that she's working on. And when there is a genuine love for your fan base, but Ariana Grande is like on the verge of losing this though because her fans kept leaking her songs and she's trying to stay, you know, she's trying to stay fake sweet about it, but she's fucked off about the whole thing. She's pissed off about the whole thing and needs to, uh, 
put a little check. We've got more cancer energy there where it's like, look, if I don't want to talk about how much is pissing me off, I won't. Anyways, you know, after finding out that Lana Del Rey is sober, I'm like, I feel like I don't know what about what anymore with these cancer, cancer celebrities. But it's always a good like business reminder to, you know, if don't make art for the people that don't get it, make art for the people that do. And even if like, cause I really, this has been such a big part of like the first half, the first third of my life is, you know, enlightenment through conflict. Like that's something that I'm here to do. And you can learn this about yourself by looking at your North and South nodes on your human design chart. It's what looks like the Leo symbol or like a little septum ring. And the one that's faith, you know, the one that is, you know, hump side up, that's your North node. And that's what you're teaching like from age 35 on. But then the south node is the one that looks like a U. It looks like the Leo symbol, um, the one that would be reversed. And that's what you're teaching up until this point. And these are useful things for you to know. This is all going to take place on the right-hand side of your chart. And you need to see your big chart to be able to do that. I use Maya Mechanics, um, which is Ra Uruhu's human design founder, his actual software. But Genetic Matrix will give you this, this full spread as well. Um, but it's a useful thing to know because like I could be really hard on myself for, you know, enlightenment through conflict. Like I feel like there's so much dimension that can be added through a teaching through a, a negative comment. But the downside of this is that it can be really addictive to just constantly deal with like the quote unquote haters because, you know, you'll hear all of your fans in the comments, you know, being like, yeah, fuck these people, you're so great. And it feels good to like shut people down. But ultimately, like this isn't increasing your sales. And you do a lot better to make music for the fans versus music for the haters. You do a lot better in creating conversation with the fans versus the haters. I feel like Lana Del Rey is really, 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 really really good at this and Lana Del Rey is going to have a fan base that are with her all the way up until the end of her life and she you know I feel like she has really like her idols you know like the like Nancy Sinatra like Johnny Cash like Hank Williams or I don't know if she's a Hank Williams fan but she fucking probably is (laughs) looks like a Hank Williams fan um these people all had you know just continued songwriting all the way up until the end of their life and I really feel like her fan base is going to be with her all the way to the end of time and I think that we'll see like many faces of Lana Del Rey yet all the same but when you create that type of home for your fans, you know, and you're always thinking of the fans and you really can imagine the faces of the fans that have been there since day one that saw the talent in you and, you know, rooted for you all the way from your early days to the end. Nicki Minaj has this with her fans as well. Um, it's really valuable. And I was talking to my husband this morning about like how like Taylor Swift tactics and Taylor Swift's like sliding scale of feminism where she can like really dish it out for people but she can't take it and I get it like I'm a disher outer as well and I have a very hard time taking it but I am getting better at such things but when when Taylor Swift doesn't get her way like she just deploys her fan base and deploying you know it's like a a military term like deploying the troops that you have to go and get the result that you want to get 
And this is, I can't say his name online, but the World War II guy that rhymes with Nettler. If I say this on TikTok, which is where we're live streaming right now, I'll get banned. Um, but he did this same thing, you know, where it wasn't like, let me just storm on in and tell you guys the friggin' agenda that I have for these people of Germany. He was like a super passionate speaker, was like, got everybody to love him. Is what Taylor Swift does all the time. You get everyone to love you and your transparency and your vulnerability and my struggle and blah, 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 blah. And then you say, but this group of people are being so mean to me. And they say, what? Any enemy of yours is an enemy of mine. And the fan base just deploys. And it's not about like love can be weaponized. It, 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 it's not that people hated that demographic of people. They just loved H-I-T-L-E-R. And so any enemy of his became an enemy of theirs. And so that whole propaganda agenda was start, wasn't started on like, let's talk about our shared hatred for this. It's like, let's talk about the love for me. And so this ability to like, and, and Taylor, like it's super obvious when you see it from an outside perspective, like what Taylor Swift does, you know, when she's like, let me get mad at Tina Fey and Amy Poehler for making like a totally reasonable joke about me. You know, they were like, oh, she goes through something faster than Taylor Swift. And she's like, this is so not feminist. And this is so not right. It's like, they're fucking comedians comedians dude like you can see them you know when they hosted the like Tina Fey took so many digs at George Clooney about dating younger women they took so many digs at men like that's just what they do but when they say one thing about Taylor Swift she's like this is anti-feminist it's like oh shut up Taylor Swift like you can't fucking win them all I know that you're a Sagittarius with like an excellent PR team so it's like no but I really really can but like yo like it is okay to, for people to have a when you're too uptight about someone making a joke at your expense it shows how much you care about your public image and like we all know that you do but we don't want to know it's kind of like when you're wearing an amazing outfit and amazing shoes and you're like yeah but these shoes hurt my feet like don't tell me about the shoes hurting your feet because now it kills the outfit I don't want to know that it hurts you so just take your fucking shoes off if you don't like it so much but like I don't want to know that Taylor Swift's image takes so much work you know it takes such a full-time PR team that if one fucking joke by two women threatens that whole like persona and is like no I'm clearly the victim in every single relationship like ew you know like ew you're fucking not and she'll like cop to a few things you know like an anti-hero be like yeah you know I've got this thing and this thing and this thing it's like okay cool um but when it comes to the narrative of like you with men like have you ever dumped anybody like have you ever dumped anybody because they just gave you the ick and like, can we think, because Ariana Grande cops, she's like, these people just give me the X, so I'm out or I'm bored. So then, but at least that's real, you know, like at least that's real when it comes to being like a home wrecker. So, uh, so welcome to the intuitor. Super happy to be here today. This episode is actually ultimately about Scientology, Danny Masterson, Bijou Phillips, John Phillips, the mamas and the papas and this whole kind of Hollywood Babylon world. And if you've actually never heard of this term Hollywood Babylon, there's an amazing book by Kenneth Anger called Hollywood Babylon. And it's what the movie LA Confidential was based off of. And you'll never see Hollywood the same way again. And speaking of Kenneth Anger, Mama Cass did have some, she, she worked with some foundation that was giving money to Ken, Kenneth Anger as well. 
so interesting roots there. But I was just speaking to somebody this morning and like we've been traveling a lot. So it's been hard for me to show up with consistency. And I have a lot of different things that I'm growing right now. I have my books, I have my workshops, I have my podcast, I have my YouTube channel, I have my newsletter list. I have a lot of different things and I was doing it all by myself. But now I have a team of seven and I'm learning how to manage such a, such a large team, which is its own set of skills. But this podcast is super important to me and I really love it because it's just so much fun for me and I feel like it's very unique in what it is. And so I'm really going to do my best to show up here with consistency. Wednesdays are actually the best day. I know it's Thursday today, but this is what I'm going to try to do because after talking with this woman this morning, she was like, look, there's always tea. And that's where I'm like, oh, you know, I have to wait until there's a scandal or something going on. But there is always tea and speaking of that tea we did see taylor swift out for a walk with sophie taylor and it is very cool the way that sophie or sophie turner sorry sophie turner hasn't said anything about this divorce she's just the truth can sit in the truth like that pr lady says the truth can sit in the truth she hasn't taken any digs at joe jonas she hasn't made a stink about anything although she did file some court documents regarding joe jonas having the kids on tour with him because she was working on like a really difficult movie that was taking a lot of time so he took the kids while they were on tour you know out in the u.s or whatever but now she's invoking some like child abduction laws to try and get the kids back in england and i don't know if that's just a move you know because like if she's still working on the movie it's probably not the best time to have the kids but that might just be her way of being like okay let's bring all of this back to center but her and taylor were photographed out together and i do think that that's cool and that's also you know taylor swift taylor swift is really good at signal you know people don't aren't photographed if they don't want to be photographed nobody's caught but there they are walking arm in arm and she's like look the enemy of an enemy is a friend so if you're now enemy against joe jonas then you and i are friends and i have your side on this and it's deploying the fan base so it's saying hello taylor swifties like we are all on sophie's side here right now and the fan base is deployed and now they're all on sophie's side if they weren't already but I think that, man, I think it's crazy because Joe Jonas obviously was trying to spin some things his way and it just completely backfired. And now he's this whole like, I'm on her side. And it's like, bro, so you're telling me that there's some third party, some like Jonas fanatic who's saying all of this stuff about Sophie that you saw her on the ring camera. Like, first of all, my G, you are so strange. Like, you are such a strange-looking guy, and none of us were really clear. Like, we, we with Nick and Priyanka, we're like, yeah, yeah, we see the appeal here. Good-looking, good-looking. You are like a weird man-alien-baby-looking kind of guy that we also know is, like, very deeply religious, like, promise-ring religious, which is giving us all the ick because as a collective, we are growing out of duality and being in touch with oneness, being in touch with the it's-not-black-or-white duality. There's, like, a whole rainbow of colors. This... You you know, moral fluidity is a lot more common in this day and age. So people that are like really rigorous Christian are kind of giving us the ick. The churches are giving us the ick. The secret Scientology, all this stuff is giving us the ick just as a collective. So we're always going to lean more to Sophie's side, even though, you know, we haven't seen Game of Thrones in years. But we remember, 
the North fucking remembers Sansa's a bad motherfucking bitch. So even if I haven't heard from her at all, except for the fact that she married you and we're all like, why? We're obviously taking her side in the divorce. But now it's like he's like on stage being like, I'm on her side. Or if it doesn't come from my mouth, you know, don't pay any attention to it. And it's like, bro, take it to the fucking press because you can't like talk your way out of a problem. This is from the book, The Speed of Trust. And this was written by the son of the guy who wrote like the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, So it's a legit, he only wrote one book, but it's called The Speed of Trust. But in it, he says that you can't talk your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into. You have to behave your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into. So if Joe thought that he was going to deploy, word of the day, deploy the press to work the whole divorce in his favor, if he wants to set it right, he can't be doing it in an intimate setting, man, the fucking Jonas Brothers fans. He's going to have to use the press to clean up the mess that he made within the press. And he should immediately file his, fire his publicist and immediately take on the lady, the PR lady. I can't remember what her name is, but you guys know her. You just look up like the PR lady on TikTok and that's who she is. So this episode of The Intuitor is just brought to you by The Intuitor. Thank you guys for being patient with me while I was traveling. Thank you for supporting this podcast. I have personally never left a review on Spotify because I don't even know how to get to that. And I know that ratings and stuff are popular with a lot of podcasts. That hasn't hit for me yet. And I would never ask you guys to do something that I haven't done. If I've never rated a podcast, I'm not going to ask you to rate it. But something that I do do, dodo, something that I do do all the time is I recommend podcasts to people. If it's a podcast that I really love, I'm like, yo, you should check out this podcast. So if you know somebody else that would be into this kind of celebrity tea slash inner work combination please recommend them to my podcast and I will make more of them with consistency and tell me in the comments right here because I will thank you for saying girl boss town someone in the comments here said girl boss town um I know all about this this was actually what I really wanted to do this podcast on today was Emily Weiss and Glossier but we'll talk about that later but we will decide this right here in the comments I am in eastern time right now and I want to know if you guys would rather hear podcasts on Wednesday at 11 a.m eastern or on Thursday at 11 a.m eastern and if you are tuning into this we will find out in just a couple minutes where you can come to either TikTok live or YouTube if I'm banned on TikTok and watch the live stream version of this podcast and ask questions because you guys are always the guest on this podcast. I will have guests in the future, but for now, the live audience is always the guest. And I love being able to hang out with you guys and see what you guys add to this conversation because it's so cool. So let's get fucking real about this whole weird situation with Danny Masterson. So if you don't know the Danny Masterson cliff notes and you're like, okay, so he got 30 years for R-A-P-I-N-G people. To what degree was he doing this? He was drugging women and R-A-P-I-N-G them sometimes at gunpoint. So we are talking about extreme situations of rape. Now, what was interesting was that 
you know, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher wrote letters of recommendation about Danny Masterson's character, as did the mom and dad from that 70s show. And it was just that 70s show, People. But they were all like, oh, you know, he's such a great person. And one of the best thing that is, you know, one of the best things about him is that he's got this really strong anti-drug stance. And it's like, well, he has an anti-drug stance when it comes to recreational use. He's like, drugs are really, really bad for you, but they're really, really good for rendering women unconscious so that you can have sex with them against their will. So that's like, that's what's going on there. But Ashton and Mila wrote all these like, you know, letters of pride for him or whatever. And I get it. You know, like if it was your, you have to, you, you have to remember that celebrities are still people. So, you know, we're in an era where people have seen a lot of things come to light, but all of a sudden it's your friend, like your straight up buddy for 30, you know, for 25, 30 years, just got sentenced to 30 years in jail like literally 30 years in jail. Now, taking everything out of the equation, did he deserve it? Like he was raping people at gunpoint. You're not allowed to do that. But these, you know, Mila and Ashton are like, our friend is going to jail. Let's do everything. It's just their friend. Of course, they're going to be on their friend's side. So it's, it sucks because that's like how really anyone would behave in the situation, even though because it's just your friend, you know, like there, the court is here to decide the victim story, the abuser story, the court is here to decide what's correct, you know, where the truth is between this side and this side. Ashton and Mila are different, even if they come on and they do an apology and be like, no, we are on the victim side. No, you're not. And that's okay. You don't have to be on the victim side. It's your fucking homie that's going to jail. Like people that were really big fans of Tory Lane's. We're like, he shouldn't go to jail. And people that were really big fans of Megan the Stallion were like, he should absolutely go to jail. You're going to be on the side of whoever it is that you're closest to. And that's okay. It's okay to understand in this situation that, even, that the apology is inauthentic because they are genuinely not sorry. They would rather have their friend out of jail than have the victim stories be heard than be on the right side of history when it comes to all of this stuff. Like, I, I get it. And Ashton Kutcher has such a fucking sketchy past that is going to be coming out. Like, yeah, he has a lot of good stuff, but this is not, this guy gets, you know, he plays the big dumb idiot. Like, oh, dude, dude, where's my car? I don't know what's going on. When actually he's super intelligent, especially when it comes to investing. Super intelligent, but also like a very diehard occultist. So he has a lot of experience with Scientology. You know, Scientology tends to bring in the friends of friends, that situation. But he was super devoted to Kabbalah. And him and Demi Moore, when they were together, they had like Kabbalah meetings at their house in the works. Like like at the same level that Madonna was doing it. And they're wearing the red bracelets and doing and And Kabbalah is like the... It's basically the backbone of all Western magic, the backbone of all Western magic. So when we look at all of these different, you know, kind of temples, whether it's the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn or the OTO or the Rosy Cross, the Rosicrucians, like all of this Western magic. So not Tantra, but the Western magic, not Egyptian it's, it's Western. It's different. And it's important to know because like Tantra culturally will never totally fit you. And Egyptian alchemy will never totally fit you because it's a cult. If you're white, it's a cultural thing. So Western magic is an important thing to know because 
it's the best chance of it being something that you could work with for the rest of your life. And the Kabbalah, so many people are a little bit Jewish. Like with 23andMe, we found out that just about everybody has a little bit of Ashkenazi Jew in them. So culturally, this could be on brand, this could be on brand for you. The Kabbalah is the backbone of all Western magic. And so if you're digging into the Kabbalah, you basically see how this objective formula for creating all things can be used to your advantage. Whatever it is that you want to create, if you understand the tree of life, you can get it done. There's like the Enneagram as well. When you understand at a deep, when you really understand what a symbol is, a symbol is a third level teaching. So when you understand it, you have its power. And if you were to take any symbol, whether it's a pentagram, an enneagram, the tree of life, a yin yang, a cross, the eye of Horus, the caduceus, whatever it is, if you were to really understand a symbol, understand its whole depth and meaning, then that would be enough power to last you through your whole life. Like you could just keep reverting to this symbol and it would, in any situation, you would understand what it is, why it's happening and how to solve it if you really grasp that symbol. The symbol is the highest level of teaching that you can get to. The first level is stories. The second level is myth and parable. So anyone could figure out the Kabbalah and on the first level, on the exoteric level of the Kabbalah. But if you're at the point where you're having meetings in your house, you're at second level Kabbalah for sure because you are paying, the second level of teachings are oral. So you can only access them through a teacher. So if you're paying a teacher to explain the more complicated second level myths and parables to you in a way you can understand you are getting access to higher magic. And that shit doesn't just go away. Ashton Kutcher gets off on playing this fucking stupid guy that doesn't know what's going on. And like Mila's a smart one in the relationship, but he knows exactly what the fuck that he's doing. He knows, oh, these comments are so tea. Um, he knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. And this whole dumb thing is just an act. And so I am sure that he's had access to like secrets of Scientology 100% with Kabbalah. And who the fuck knows what else he's into. I could definitely do a deeper dive on this. But when you, you know, Ashton Kutcher straight up walked in and found his girlfriend at the time murdered. And instead of reporting it to the police, he went and called his team first. Hey, like, what do I do? And so there's all kinds of sus stuff. And that ex-girlfriend of Danny Masterson has been blasting a lot of this stuff on her Instagram, making threats about like I know what you did last summer type of stuff and so I wonder and Ashton and Mila were really playing the game you know they're like we're gonna be we're gonna be like the Blake and Ryan the Blake Lively and Ryan Ryan Reynolds we're gonna be like America's favorite couple like ha 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 like we can make jokes and we're so grand we're so real whatsoever and this public apology video did not do the trick of restoring their public image whatsoever. And I think that people might have a permanently bad taste in their mouth from Ashton and Mila. The only thing that I think could, uh, could, could turn that around for them is if they went pedal to the metal on whatever, you know, look into their life they were going to be offering to the public at some point anyway. Like everything can be used to your advantage. And Ryan Reynolds marketing company is, is an excellent example of that where they take the attract, you know, if you've got a bunch of attention on you because of a scandal, kind of like Doja Cat just learned how to do this. 
bring a lot of attention to yourself, whether it's coming from positive PR or negative PR, because there's, there's just no such thing as bad publicity. But while people are talking about you, use it to launch in your next product. And sometimes this worked in the case of Ariana Grande, you know, launching her new perfume or whatever, when there was all the scandal about her and Ethan Slater, that didn't work. I think it was just like a little bit too soon for people. But I feel like if Mila and Ashton were, you know, in this moment of negative publicity and we're like, you know what, fuck it, let's just hit, let's just hit the express button on showing people behind the scenes what it's like to be in our family so we can segue that into our lifestyle brand and to our own show and our own this or, you know, whatever it was that their plan was going in. It could totally work. I'm not a PR expert, but, you know, it could totally work. But this whole so Danny Masterson married to Bijou Phillips who used to be like a big party animal like I remember reading about her in Vogue in like you know 2007 2008 it was like Bijou Phillips Suleiman Fry like these were the socialites at the time what was the, the uh what's the girl's name not Poppy De Levine maybe Poppy De Levine uh but there was somebody else her name was like Bunny or, or something Someone with like some cutesy name like that, that was like a big, maybe it was Peaches, Peaches Goodall. That's who it was. All of these socialites and Bijou Phillips was definitely one of them. And Bijou Phillips is the daughter of Genevieve Waite and John Phillips. And John Phillips was in the Mamas and the Papas. But Genevieve Waite, she, her album is actually super sick and John Phillips produced it. It's, it's dark, but it's, uh. It's a, it's a vibe. I feel like there's a lot of like TikTok viral sounds with uh, Genevieve Waite's album. Uh, it's just a sleepy time binge, disposable syringe. It's like songs like that. Very, I feel like Lana would definitely get down. Um, but Genevieve Waite and John Phillips together had their daughter Bijou Phillips. Now, John Phillips from another marriage, and he, you know, has had quite a few marriages. I think his first one was with the hot mama from the mama and the papa, Michelle Phillips. She was just 18 when they got married. Uh, gorgeous, like absolutely stunning and grew up in Mexico City in Roma Sur, which, you know, way back when that was, a, you know, in like 1950s, pretty interesting place to grow up. Uh, but John Phillips had another daughter named Mackenzie and Mackenzie said that when she started playing music with her dad and they were always just like getting high together and stuff and who knows on what you know I'm not sure if it was hair on I'm not but let's think about like what drugs were really available at the time weed psychedelics LSD in abundance but also like coke was just becoming really big and heroin was showing up a little bit here and there it was becoming like more common and mama Cass actually said that she was always like into junkies and so I would say that there was a lot of that around as well like we might not hear about it so much but like coke is kind of unsustainable you know just ask Stevie Nicks but there's always been that other door of heroin like if you still want to get high but you don't want these you know negative effects from doing too much blow you know there is this option and the poppy very different experience from everything else that was available at that time but anyway Mackenzie Phillips was going to get married and she was young and she had been getting high a lot like with her dad but she was going to 
she was going to get married and her and her dad came over to her hotel room they said they were getting fucked up and then she woke up and he was raping her and she you know was high when it was happening and like a few days later you called off the wedding and a few days later she confronted him and she said you you know you raped me and he goes what do you mean like we were making love and she said that it was at that moment that she just knew that she was alone in that situation. And it's like, oof, you know, that's, that's rough stuff. So for the next 10 years, it continued. That became the relationship. And they were playing music and everything together, but like on tour. And some of the other bandmates and stuff knew about it. But they were like, John Phillips is just such a fucked up guy. And, but was also like the ringleader of the group. So I don't think that people really knew how to confront him about that uh but Mackenzie after 10 years started speaking about it and she warned Bijou as a child like watch out for dad because he mom is in the papas is the band she's watch out for dad because he drugged and raped me over the course of 10 years and it's really fucked me up now Bijou Phillips it got is on no contact with her sister because she said to her sister you made it so that I couldn't have a relationship with my dad. You told me all of this stuff about dad. You're crazy. And as a result, I never got to have a relationship with him until two years before he died. And it was too late. So I'm on no contact with my sister. And she started getting this narrative, started getting this fucking vibe after she was introduced to Scientology. So very, you know, so this is like the classic Scientology things of like, you need to only align yourself with people that support the agenda that the Scientology cult has for you. And you're not allowed to have anything to do with these repressive people that are trying to be like, I think that you're joining a cult and you're starting to get genuinely pretty weird about things. So you should stop it. Anyways. So we've got her dad accused of doing the same exact thing that Danny Masterson is accused of, which is drugging and raping, sometimes violently, women. And now we've got Bijou Phillips in the same role both times, which is like, he's falsely accused. You're trying to take away the men in my life. And when something is not for you, when there is a negative pattern that needs to be healed, it will continue happening and continue happening and continue. And it will happen to her again until she has a mental 360 about dating rapists. Until she is able to see that like, wow, women are not the enemy trying to break apart your fucked up marriage and your fucked up daddy relationship. They are trying to alert you that you are with somebody that is not doing things in the way that they should be done. And these people will eventually meet their own punishment. And you need to be aware of that because you are selecting the wrong people. And I would almost put money on the fact that she had that same experience with her dad, but didn't think that it was bad. And therefore, she can't hear the. It's just the intuitor talking, right? It's just the intuitor. Look, I thought that Lana Del Rey was a drinker. I could be totally wrong here. But this whole situation smells to me. Like Madame Bijou Phillips has not honored the fact that this situation is fucked up. 
And maybe that's because she doesn't want to honor it in herself. Maybe it happened to her and it's so much easier to say, that's not fucked up. We were making love. That's normal. Maybe it's so much easier for her to say that than admit that her dad was doing really fucked up things to her sister and her husband was doing really fucked up things to other women. And she knew about it. Devotedly yours, who I fucking love on TikTok, knew her. She released a, a piece that was talking. And who was it? It was uh, one of Danny Masterson's exes or somebody that was over at his house. And her and her girlfriend went over there to play poker. And Bijou Phillips was there and just giving them death stares the whole time. And her friend, after like one drink, was all disoriented and like really fucked up. And Bijou Phillips was giving the two of them dirty looks. Like, you know, like, what are you doing? And so the, the girl who was roofied, the girl who's super disoriented, goes upstairs like to the bathroom or something and Danny Masterson follows her up and when she goes upstairs when the friend of the woman who was drugged goes upstairs to find her because Bijou Phillips has been giving her death stares the whole time she goes upstairs and sees that Danny Masterson has her like like pinned to the wall not physically pinned to the wall but like lady slumped up against the wall he's got his arm over her head and is like cornering her into some kind of thing and so friend of the girl is like, okay, we got to go because Bijou Phillips is giving us so much hate here. Let's get us out of here. It's pre-Uber. They're waiting for a cab for like two and a half hours out of his place. And oh, and before they decide to leave, Bijou Phillips like blows the fuck up at them. And so they're like, okay, let's get out of here. They call a cab and they, uh, and they have to wait like two and a half hours for the cab to come and get them. And then this whole time while they're waiting for the cab, Bijou Phillips takes Danny Masterson outside and they can hear because they're out front of the house. But, you know, it's like in, in Hollywood so you can hear. And she's like, I know what Bijou Phillips to Danny Masterson. I know what the fuck you're doing here. I know what's going on here. Blah, 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 blah. So she fully knew that he had some kind of roofie agenda, but has somehow validated this to herself of like, it's not that bad, blah, 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 blah. And I think that that goes all the way back to her dad and that whole fucked up relationship. So, yeah, she just filed for divorce for him. But that's not, you know, there, she's not like, oh, okay, the court found you guilty and now I'm over you. That's just asset protection because she's got to be able to, you know, it's not like his assets are going to do shit for him while he's in jail. So if they're divorced and he does like a no contest thing and gives her basically everything, then the assets are protected and they can't be, you know, shit can't be taken away from him if it all belongs to her and everything's been taken for him from him anyways. So... But that's Scientology for you. Like even like if you just look into any like the 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 trauma of the CEO always becomes the company culture. And so before you're thinking about signing up for any cult or joining any organization or even doing community classes, you know, like becoming a part of any group, they're very easy to join and very hard to leave. But before you do that, you're going to really want to do a deep dive on who it is that's running this situation. Do they have a negative pattern that they can't seem to get rid of? And you need to be on the on the lookout for this. Like when it comes to me and my business, and I, I don't have a community that you can join because I had that before and my fucking trauma became the company culture. Let me give you a very clear example of this. My trauma was growing up in a doomsday sex cult. When the fucking pandemic hit, I thought that it was doomsday stuff because all of that conditioning had just been dormant in my mind waiting for one period of, un of re recognizing that the world 
is, was, and always will be uncontrollable. All it took was that little period of things being uncontrollable for me to just revert back to that doomsday mentality. And my community, I was like, oh, we should just be able to have a place where we can all share our links for conspiracy theories because so the internet was so censored at this time. So it, so I started a Slack group and it opened up into something much bigger. It became the community for the Bruja Report. But what had started that culture was a thread I started called Conspiracy Lovers Anonymous that even when I broke off from that thinking and was like, look, this is not doing anything useful for us, but I didn't want to shut it down because it was so popular. I was like, I'm just not going to go over there anymore. It was collaborative, but it was attached to my name, you know, and that's something that you need to be aware of when you're starting community groups is that it's, it's, you will get all of the credit and you will get all of the criticism as well. And, and you're deserving of, of both of those things when they come your way, even though none of it was a hundred percent on you. Like you need to be aware that if you're the ringleader, that that's the, the terms that it's going to be on. But my whole entire community, the fucking CEO's trauma becomes the, com the company culture. And so the whole fucking company was like doomsday paranoia shit. I had like a doomsday prepper vlog and, and the works and it's so, and you guys need to be aware, like a lot of your friends that got into little groups and stuff like post pandemic, you're going to start to see how these things start to spiral out of control into a cult thing because the fear, when, when the world is uncontrollable, this is what happened in the hippie movement. The world was uncontrollable because of the Vietnam war. There was a draft going on. Nobody wanted a part of this war yet. It was happening. They couldn't get out of it. They didn't know how long it was going to go on for. And it was just devastating. It was just absolutely devastating, horrible. And the U.S. was losing horribly. And no one even knew, not even the generals knew what they were doing there in the first place. It was just like awful. Um, but when the collective is saying like, what is happening here? Instead of ascending in consciousness and surrendering to the fact that like, you don't have control over this. You never have, you never will. What usually happens is there's a descent into control and says, because people want to know with, with the unseen world, what's going on. We don't know what's going on with the seen world. Therefore, something in the unseen world must be causing this. Now, the truth is that like there's nothing that happens on earth that is not supposed to happen. But what usually happens is there is a descent of consciousness that says, I know the unseen forces that are going on. This is what the Bible tells us about. And there's always some doomsday. There was always some fucking doomsday thing because the fear is always a great selling tactic. And if you're telling people like, look, there's going to be an us and them scenario, just like Manson had, just like Heaven's Gate had, just like the children of God had, like there's always, just like Scientology has, just like Mormonism has, there is going to be us and we get these wonderful opportunities because we're the chosen ones and we're doing the right work. And them, you know, well, we just have to pray for them because they're going to have some type of horrible existence. And the fantasy isn't so much about the rewards that you get as a person. It's the punishment that the people who do not adhere to the rules get. Because fear is a much greater motivator than pleasure. So that happened in the Vietnam War. And we saw all of these different cults pop up as a result of that. But now with pandemic, so many people were like, oh, we know why things are going on the way that they are. And... And these little things that start as just conscious living or conscious community and blah, 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 is like we will see over the next couple of years 
all the cultiness that is actually going on behind the scenes with these because people all join because of the fear like okay yeah let's control this but then as people slowly start to realize that that doomsday isn't going to happen the way that the the owner said it was going to then you need something else to motivate people to stay on and in the scientology they just use their trauma again your trauma against you you know they find out all of the things that you don't want anyone to ever find out about you and then keep you in there and then threaten to tell people about them if you ever leave i got you by the fucking balls but in all cults they need to come up with some way to sustain the fear so that you don't leave but no one it none of it looks like a cult when you join it you know it looks like oh we're just making a sourdough starter here like cult is culture and if you just think of it like a sourdough starter where it's like okay we have flour and water but then we need to add a foreign element we need to add a yeast in it to activate it and it grows really. So we add in this foreign element. We add in that charismatic cult leader. That's like, I'm not a leader. I'm just one of you. There's no leaders here. This is just my special chair. It was just a special chair that nobody else sit in this chair, but I'm not a leader. I'm just like you, you know, I'm one of you. We're all in this together. We all sit on the floor here. Always the way it is. No one's in charge. There's no rules. But then all of a sudden, that yeast starts to ferment the whole batch and the whole batch starts to have the taste of this charismatic leader and there can only be one now something else about a sourdough starter is that you have to constantly add fresh food to it or the thing will over ferment and go bad so if we have too much of the old heads in there that are like can can point out that like what you're saying today in 2023 about the new doomsday, it kind of sounds like what you were saying in 2020 about the first doomsday and that didn't happen. So would this really happen? Too much of the old ferment, unless it has a constant supply of fresh fear or a constant supply of fresh bodies joining the cult, it will over ferment. So you always have to toss off a bit of that starter and feed it with more new stuff to have a culture or a cult that's growing correctly. But once that starter is really growing, then you can take just a little bit of it from that mother batch in Huntington Beach, California, like the cult that I grew up in. And you can take just a little bit of that starter and you can put a little bit in Texas, you can put a little bit in Tennessee, you can put a little bit in the Philippines, you can put a little bit in Brazil. And just that tiny bit of the culture that all started with that first initial charismatic leader will have the capacity to ferment and re-ferment as many new converts as you could possibly want. So if we don't think about culture in this, you know, you know, what's the culture or what's the cult, but we just think about like how it actually works and from like a fermentation standpoint, you see that it's all just following the same rules. So when we think about this, you know, the CEO's trauma becomes the company culture. Let's just look at the guy that is running Scientology right now. His name is David Miscavige or Miska, I don't know how to pronounce it, but his wife, Shelly, people are like, oh, we haven't seen her in a really long time. Is she still alive? What's going on? This guy's a fucking creep looks like a fucking creep we don't know where his wife is now we might not be able to know where his wife is but here's the fucking question that you can answer real fast just on wikipedia and that is what happened to his mother-in-law his mother-in-law his wife shelly's mom was found dead from a quote-unquote suicide with four 
gunshots, four quote unquote self-inflicted long gun impossible. You can't off yourself four times with a rifle. And when they asked David Miscavige about it, he said like that bitch got what she deserved. So if that's what's going on just in the CEO's life, just in the CEO's life, then imagine what the fuck is going on in the disciples' life? Because there is no way that the company culture started, and L. Ron Hubbard started it. Um, hello, my love. I'll be there in just one second. Please don't get your dick in my shot. Um, but if that's just what's going on with the guy that's running it right now, then it only gets worse and more polluted as it starts to descend down the food chain. I won't leave my love, but let me finish my podcast that I'm doing. I just have a couple more minutes. Go on to the jumpoline and I'll be there in one second. So that's, there's all secret Scientologists out there. The recent, the most recent person where I was like, she's a Scientologist? Juliette Lewis. Juliette Lewis. I was like, what? My queen. You? My freak show lady? You're a Scientologist? Like... What you doing? She probably offed somebody on a hit and run or something and they have that against her. But maybe maybe that's just something that I that I picked up from watching that show The Path, which is a really really sick show. If you guys haven't seen it, it's awesome and it's all about uh oh, my daughter is crying for me in the window. All right, honey Benny. Okay, you guys, it's time for me to go. I love you guys so much. Do I respond to comments not when I'm doing the intuitor? And I have to look up Taryn Manning. Somebody asked me about this. Uh, happy to be back here on the Intuitor. Wish that I could talk to you guys literally all day long, but here's the commitment that I can make to you. Let me just see. Did anybody say to me what day? Nope. Okay. So here's what day we'll do the Intuitor. We'll do it a week from today on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time. If you guys follow me on TikTok, wait for me to go live at that point. If you guys want to be on the TikTok live and if not, just follow me, The Intuiter. You can get it anywhere you get your podcast. Love you so much. Talk to you soon and I'll talk to you later. My daughter's just crying in the window here. My baby, I'm sorry. My honey.